Hello and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host Nick Sararis here and I hope everybody enjoyed yesterday's episode. Lena was nice enough to join me. We talked about the Formula One season so far. Today's episode, we are going back to the wonderful world of Rangers hockey. Gonna help try and put the team's recent moves into a historical context with Someone I've known on hockey Twitter, basically since I got onto hockey Twitter, Josh Califan, he's a few years older than me. He he felt the anguish of the Henrik Lundqvist era just as much as I did, and we had a really, really good conversation about the Rangers over the years, the Rangers in recent days, and some of the moves they made, where the team can go from here, and some general hockey conversation that will help make you a little bit smarter. But before I get to today's conversation, I do have to remind everyone to help support the show. If you see the show on social media, please throw it a like, a retweet, a share, whatever platform you're on. Support the show. Whatever podcasting platform you use, if it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, follow the show's feed. New episodes should be coming pretty much every single day for a while as we have so much news because we're at such a key point in multiple sports seasons. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you have an added responsibility. The show's homepage. Scroll down to the bottom. There are five clear purple stars. Hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button with purple letters that says, Write a Review. If you have an extra minute, please leave a written review. Any feedback is appreciated. Now, we know the Rangers are the bane of my existence and also the thing I enjoy the most when they're playing well and when they make good decisions. And the Rangers haven't been making awful decisions. They have been making flawed decisions, decisions without using sound logic, and talking with Josh today, I was able to kind of step myself back from the ledge a little bit. That is until they trade Ryan Strom for like Ryan Reeves and a draft pick or two. But until that terrible trade happens, Josh did a good job of talking me off the ledge and putting some calm in me and just really helping me understand a little bit better that it's not the end of the world, but they, they could be doing better, which is really one of the key points we hit on in our conversation, that the Rangers never do anything like Jim Benning bad, but they do do things that are frustrating. All of that said, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop. Step on. Pass across. Which never scores! His first NHL goal! Lindgren doesn't like Bergeron, then Marshawn says, yeah, really? And then Buchnevich comes in. And with that, as promised, to help put the last week, month, 15 years of the Rangers into perspective, as promised, Josh Califin is here to discuss things. So first of all, how you doing, Josh? You know, as fine as it could be after the last week, you know, like it's, uh, it's all right. It's all right. All right. So. One of the things that I've really been talking about with a number of people in the Rangers sphere is all of these problems that the Rangers are having right now, they didn't start last week, they didn't start last year, it didn't start when they fired Drury and Davidson, it didn't fire start when they hired David Quinn, Elaine Vigneault. 
a lot of the Rangers' problems stem from the fact they were gifted a generational talent and built an entire team around them, that generational talent in Henrik Lundqvist. And we're kind of still dealing with the impacts of a front office that never really learned how to build a well-rounded team, more or less just we're going to try and maximize what Hank can do and win every single game three to two or two to one. And we're still dealing with the consequences of that 15 years after his NHL debut. I mean, yeah, I, I guess you could definitely put it as that. Like, I remember, uh, I remember like being like pretty excited about even the random guys that the Rangers used to pick up, like Everett Christensen as one C it's all good, bro. You know, like, let's try to, let's try to win the cup with that. But yeah, I, I, I'm completely with you. It almost seems like they uh, pigeonhole themselves into like one kind of uh, path, right? And then, you know, almost seems like they're not able to adjust with the times as well. But it's almost like the most Ranger thing where the moves they make aren't always horrible. They're yeah. Just, they're just bad enough. <laughs> And you could still look at the bright side of most of these moves and you'd be like, well, okay, fine. You know, like I could, I, I, I guess, but it's, uh, you know, that's been going on for like the last, like you said, like last 10, 15 years. That's, that's just how it feels like they, they just do something that you get angry enough, but then it's, it's just not bad enough for you to hate it right off the bat. So I, that's the I, most great experience that I could possibly, you know, feel like in the last 15 years that's a perfect way to put it just stupid enough where it's like come on we don't really need to do that i mean there are so many examples in history you could think about dan boyle you can think about trading for keith yandel only to use him on the second power play and as a third pair left d just getting shattenkirk and then immediately moving him away from mcdonough all of these moves where it's like okay i could understand why you would do that and then once you have said player on your team you're not using them for what they're supposed to be doing and you just kind of get into this trap more or less where they're not bad enough to be like you know the sabers but they're not a legitimate contender because they have a very defined ceiling because of the talent. I mean, I went back and looked in preparation to do this. I did so I took some notes. I just the the years the Tom Rennie to Tortorella years are really a perfect microcosm of what the Rangers think they need to be doing of, okay, we're going to pluck someone from this team that's won a Stanley Cup. We're going to pluck this veteran who's 28 years old and multiple injuries but we think he'll be fine i mean some of those names i mean they brought in gomez and drury on the same day got two good seasons out of both of them and that was it that was literally it and that was a big commitment at the time i mean back in 2007 when those contracts were signed the salary cap was like 45 million dollars yeah, two good. players to have two players making 12 and a half million dollars combined in 2007 was insane and one of the things that comes up as part of that is when the Rangers have been good, at least in the recent history, it's because they didn't do anything. They were patient. They let the Stepons, the Criders, the Callahans, the Girardis, the Stalls, they just let those guys come up through the system and wait and not going out and spending on niche players, on specific role players. And I just feel like we're not learning from history here. We're, we're doing the same thing over again, just, you know, we need some credibility for this team right now. Okay, let's go get two guys who've won Stanley Cups with minor roles on those teams. You know, I, I definitely hear what you're saying, but I 
I'm looking at it in a little bit more of an optimistic way for this group of kids, right? Okay. I don't remember the last time the Rangers had the kind of potential and the kind of young talent going up through the system as those other years. Like when they signed Jury and uh, Gomez, if I remember correctly, you know, like Dubinsky was like barely there. I think that was just like his second year, first year, yeah. same thing with Callahan. And these guys, you know, like as good of players as they were, you know, if, if the Rangers' top young guys end up like Dubinsky and Callahan, you know, you probably have to start all over. And um, I, could, I could see what they're trying to do. They're trying to, you know, they're falling into, in my opinion, like the same trap that every hockey, you know, team does. This is just hockey as it is. If they have the opportunity to bring a guy who won a cup and to, you know, use that as like motivation to whatever, you know, like the fans that read whatever post or... Um, even the players, you know, they'll do it. People are pretty much saying, you know, Tampa wouldn't have won the cup without Maroon and Coleman and Goudreau because of their experience or whatever. But, you know, like they were still a pretty sick team. They could have probably still had a chance. People still also use, you know, the trades in 1994, right? They're like, well, yeah. we could have probably won three or four cups if they didn't make those trades. But, you know, then the other side would be like, well, maybe you wouldn't have. So in, for this group, I, I, you know, I get it. But what I don't like would be like the type of players that they might be targeting and um, how much money they're, they're probably willing to spend in this flat cap era. I, I mean, you know, like to sort of bounce around here, like we were talking about, uh, I think you, you were talking about Nemeth uh, yesterday yeah. and you were like, you know, like this is not a kind of guy that you'd want to sign to a two, three year deal at the moment. And, you know, the thing is, in my opinion, it's now because, um, we're at this really weird point with analytics becoming like such a big deal and more and more teams are starting to use it. And, you know, you're finding these diamond in the rough players, but now they're actually getting paid. Like they're supposed to like yeah. most, most salary projections, you know, would say that the Nemeth deal is fine, but I think you and I are sort of in like a similar mindset where while it's fine, you could have probably still found somebody who's still a bit cheaper yeah. Because you have this opportunity to, hey, you know, like if they like this guy, they like this guy. I think him with Lundqvist should be uh, pretty cool. But, um, you know, it, it's just one of these things where, you know, they're targeting these guys, but if only they just did it slightly differently. Like, it, you know, it, it, it's just so damn close for me to like really, really like, you know, carry water for them. Like, you know, like Brooks or something, you know, <laughs> really, really close. But that what are you gonna do because i'm in agreement with you we all under we all were in agreement that they needed a third pair of veteran lefty to go with whoever whichever kid righty made the team this year whether that was lundquist or schneider it seems like schneider is two years away so probably lundquist and they needed some bottom six guys who could actually play hockey not a brett howden not a phil DiGiuseppe, not just warm bodies that were ahl guys but they were here so they had to play because the third and fourth lines were a legitimate problem this year. They could not contribute yeah. offensively. They gave you next to nothing, and they were constantly hemmed in their own zone. So we were all in agreement that they needed to go out and get someone. Now, these guys are historically overvalued because they don't get fair market value until they're 26, 27, 28 years old, and they want that one payday. I mean, Goudreau's doubled his career earnings on this one contract before this year he was i think at eight something million dollars and this the life of this contract is 21 million dollars so just that's the kind of market value you're dealing with and you see the teams that are good consistently is the ones that are able to find these guys 
in their own systems. They're mm -hmm. able to promote them internally and you keep them cost controlled until they turn that 25 years old and they let them go. I mean, the Rangers did this. They did this with Haglin. Specifically, Haglin is the one you think of where, yeah, he's a high-end depth player who can occasionally have a really good 20-ish goal season, kill penalties at a high level, but the Rangers said, we couldn't afford him. It's time to move on. They got a god-awful return. I mean, we all tried to make Emerson Edom a thing, but he lasted a year and a half and he was out of the league. Yeah. So I'm definitely in agreement with you there that I see what they're trying to do. They're just paying too much for it. Yeah, but, you, you know, like for me, it's, it's one of these weird things that right now I don't even know um, if we do a really good job at evaluating defense at the NHL, yeah. right? So then when you're looking at, let's say, building your prospect pool, and you're looking at all these players that are either available at the draft or playing with, you know, in a lot of different leagues, you really, you know, unless you're scouting every day and you're pretty confident in your own abilities to predict how this player would project and that doesn't even factor in development, right? You have nothing to really uh, standardize your understanding of defense for all these players in all these leagues. And I feel that the Rangers, especially, you know, in you know in this draft they, they sort of know how to target these like hard-working type players whether they succeed or not is a whole other thing but the thing is that when you know you have a lot of these higher talent young players already in the nhl you're sort of trying to force it to speed up like I, i'm sure yeah. the Rangers had like a bunch of decent bottom six guys that are you know probably worth a shot you know in mixing with a couple of the veterans but it's one of these things that, you know, Dolan wants them to be competitive, that, you know, you do want these players like Laff and Kako to uh, start producing and uh, start taking over the team and making it their own. So, you know, unfortunately, I feel like the way that they think that they're doing that is by making a playoff type of team. And, you know, they're not willing to give these kids a shot. If I think they drafted a lot of these hardworking kids before they drafted Kako, Lafreniere or whatever, I think we would see a completely different uh, development. Like if they develop their fourth liners and third liners first, and they're saying like, oh man, we need these super talented dudes. And then they get them, you know, we'd be looking at it entirely differently. But since we got these you know, really, really good young players right away, I think that's almost forcing the acceleration of the rebuild and getting these third liners and fourth liners through expensive deals as opposed to developing your own. But I'm sure, you know, dudes are going to get injured, you know, yeah. If Morgan Barron doesn't make the team out of camp, he's still going to be probably playing at some point in November or December, probably deserving a spot. Even Justin Richards, you know, he's been known as a pretty good defensive uh, prospect. He might get a spot too. Like, I, I, I do like that at least we have the depth to maybe force some of the veterans out of the lineup eventually, you know. Goudreau's, you know, he's locked in. But, like, the other guys that they're probably going to sign for the fourth line or third line this year, you know, I can't imagine them getting long-term commitments either. So hopefully we get these young guys in there too. So you have spent a lot of your time with prospects work and that kind of stuff. I know you, that was one of the first things I remember interacting with you was doing prospects work. Do you think that realistically, if things go right, that your Kako, Lafreniere, and Kraftsov are eventually going to replace your Buchnevich, Kreider, and one of their top six forward production? Or do you see a world in which if those guys only get to three quarters, 80% of what they could be, you probably have a problem with your roster construction because you're relying so heavily on those three guys, Panarin and Zabinijad. So, you know, I think that uh, 
we're at like a really weird spot too, you know, like, oh, we're also, I think as a, you know, hockey community, uh, starting to get away from just using points as an evaluation tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you do want it, you know, like you, your team's got to score to win. And um, I do think, you know, Lafreniere is probably going to, in my opinion, he's going to go off this year just because, uh, you know, he, he had a hard time too. Like, just like Kako had a difficult time playing all those games, you know, Lafreniere not coming in for the preseason was probably a big deal too. He started getting better at the end. I still think they'll be fine. But I, I completely agree with you. If you're banking on these kids, right, and they don't develop, and I feel like it's reasonable to worry if they won't develop just because, you know, the production aspect isn't there yet. But at the same time, you know, if we're being like pessimistic Rangers fans, when was the last time? When was the last time we were able to like develop our own like 70 point guy and not trade him for a second round pick? You know, it's, um, it takes time and these kids take, you know, these kids take time to develop. So I think the problem right now, like, I, you're, you're completely right. Like the Rangers entire team, like the X factor is if these kids are going to be able to become superstars overnight, even though they probably will get there at some point, they'll probably become pretty good productive players. But, you know, this season could either be a really, really fun one or absolutely miserable. And everybody's going to be asking like, oh man, like how's the rebuild going? And probably, you know, being quick to try to trade away some of these kids already. So I, I think, I think you got it there. Like they're banking a lot on these kids and we're going to, you know, it would be fun from an outsider's perspective. Yes. Man, like so, I'm telling you the first time we get the three game losing streak, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to like be uh, enjoying scrolling on Twitter. So it's important that they did change coaches. Cause I do think that the way David Quinn coaches the forwards, there were legitimate issues in sustainable offensive creation where against teams that play tighter defense, the Rangers had a harder time, but against teams like Washington and Philadelphia and the Devils, which play a little bit more of an up and down their space to operate, we've seen the Rangers score pretty well and play pretty well against Washington, against Philadelphia, but against the Bruins, against the Islanders, They've had a harder time getting to those areas and creating offense more consistently. So do we think that maybe getting a little bit away from that rush-centric offense will help out these younger guys, especially considering we all know that if you had to pick a physical trait that was probably the weakest of them, Kako skating, Lafreniere skating being their weakest point, do you think getting to a more sustainable offense can help find that offensive production because the underlyings weren't awful. Kako had really good underlyings and last three weeks of the season, Lafreniere started to figure that out. So do you think a little bit better offense will help these guys get the counting stats? Because we saw last year, they had God awful shooting luck. They were like 4% on ice shooting percentage. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I, I, I think it, I think it will make a difference. I mean, you know, not even just to like uh, hype up like Gallant, right? Um, we see how dangerous Laugh and Kako are around the net. Yeah. The problem with Kako is like, no matter how many times he, you know, wins any boards battles or protects the puck, he never gets towards the front of the net. Yeah. And Lafreniere didn't have really that much of an opportunity because, you know, these kids didn't really get that much ice time. But when he was around the net, like he pulled off some like pretty sick goals, you know, like when he was going around the net, he, t- he was able to tuck it in. When he was going around the net, he was able to like set up like a pretty good centering pass that somebody, you know, missed. I think that this team, once they've gotten to this point where they've become more adept at cycling and especially these kids who are, you know, they're still young, they still got to get stronger. They got to get the opportunity and the confidence to be able to 
drive the net. You know, Gallant is probably going to force them to do it just based on what I've heard of how he coaches his, you know, how he coaches his team. Like they're not going to really get ice time unless they push through that way. So I think that that would open up a lot of opportunities for them on top of the fact that, you know, if that is not working, um, I, you know, Gallant also does give players a little bit of a longer leash, you know, a Panarin type of guy, you know, you don't need him to cycle. Like he will probably find a way to break a game open. Uh, you know, even crops off to a lesser degree. If you hope that he develops, he's also another kind of guy that, you know, he has a lot of bag of tricks on the rush. So you never know if he might just open up a lane just from his own talent alone. So I do like the ability to not only diversify like the kind of team that they're building and the kind of styles that they do, but have the opportunity to maybe, you know, target a team in a different way or target a defensive pairing in a different way. You know, if, if the Rangers could score in multiple ways and uh, create offense in multiple ways, then I think we're fine. You know, like the defense looks decent enough as it is. Like, I don't think there really is a weak spot on defense right now. And if you're replacing all of these, you know, worst players on offense, you know, like, okay, Goudreau is expensive or Blay or however you pronounce it, you know, isn't like anything special. They're fucking better than Howden, man. You know, like it's, it's probably going to look better. So I, you know, I I am a little bit excited about that. Um, What? Yeah. You, you brought it up there that you feel pretty confident in the defense. So if you had to, guess going forward which you were more confident in whether it would be the defensive guys we'll talk well exclude fox because he's already kind of close to polished and ready to go but talking k andre nils lundquist schneider robertson if you want to include him zach jones if you want to include him or kako lafreniere and kraftsov who do you feel more confident in collectively going forward is it the defensemen just because there's more of them or is it the forwards because these guys are you know top of the draft high ends we knew these guys were going to be first second overall picks two years before they were drafted so you know this is the first of all you know like i i completely go with the forwards almost any time like you know in terms of like a lot of, you know, different like analytic perspectives. Like, you know, you don't really try to draft the defenseman first overall, right? You mm-hmm. go for the forward just because of the amount of production and the amount of the effects on the ice that they do have. But, so I would go with the forwards, but at the same time, uh, there's something that I've sort of started to like add to my own way of trying to analyze the game. Mostly for me trying to come around to the Truba contract. This, <laughs> this is yeah. what happened. So, I, you know, I'm definitely moving the goalposts a little bit, but I think it might apply to a lot of the younger defensemen too, where, um, you know, if these guys are playing 20-something minutes a night, that's a third of the game, maybe even more. Like in Truba's case, if Fox and Truba are eating up 45 minutes of ice time and the Rangers are the better team 45 minutes of the time, you know, you, you know, it doesn't really matter what's happening in the last 15 minutes. And if those next 15 minutes are being carried by, like, you know, Nils or anybody else, you know, the Rangers by themselves have given themselves a pretty good buffer just from their defense alone to not really have as many bad players on the ice at one time at the work, you know, like just, so that's why I really like how they're building the defense. I think the, uh, you know, I'm more confident in the forwards, but what they've done to the defense, I think, you know, you eliminate all your weaknesses you, you know, you probably don't have more than one bad player on the ice at one time because you pretty much trust your defense. You know, I think them building through that aspect of it will help the forwards a little bit better just because, you know, they're not going to be hemmed in in their own zone. Like you do have a pretty good group. And I think that 
you know, when these kids develop, you know, Keandre, you know, he's going to get another, you know, year under his belt. He's probably going to be more confident. Nils, hopefully, you know, will be able to continue his not only production, but his ability, you know, for transit, his transition game. I think the forwards are just going to be benefiting off that. So I think a lot of it is pretty much like interlocked. Oh, definitely, because we've seen it for several years now where the Rangers have iced at least one defenseman a night that just cannot clear the puck right. out of their own zone at yeah. all. And, 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 you know, like that's the thing that I'm pretty sure that they're going to be avoiding for the most part this year. Like, okay, Nemeth might not have, like, the great first pass, but at least he'll be able to defer to Nils or defer to whoever, who he's, uh, whoever he's paired with and pretty much stop the rushes in the zone anyway. So, you know, I'm at least confident about that. So having that and the ability to just keep sending the offense forward, like they do have a pretty good group. As much as it, I hate to lose uh, Buchnevich, I mean, if you keep giving the puck to Panarin, to Zibanejad, to whoever else you might bring in, along with these kids, they're going to get the work done. And if you keep dumping the puck in, then I hope that Goodrow and whoever else they bring for their like, you know, grit fetish will be able to get the puck back too. I think that it's a fine thing to probably expect. You just have to hope that it, you know, works out as, you know, their vision entails. And I think it's like a decent plan. You know, it's just like a lot of it now becomes like, well, what other players are you targeting? So you mentioned it a little while ago, and it's worth talking about because I was having this discussion with one of my Islander fan friends the other day, and he asked me very bluntly, did it make sense for the Rangers to get Panarin and Truba when they did because they were so far away from competing? And that has kind of artificially sped up the clock because, you know, Truba's 29, Panarin's 29, Kreider's 29 going on. I think Kreider's 30, Zabinijad is going on 29. And then you have all of the young guys, the guys you've drafted over the last few years or the guys you've acquired in trades. And you've kind of artificially sped up your clock and you maybe won't get the maximum opportunity that you would have had, say, you just waited out the clock until your team was a little bit more well-rounded to strike. Or are you one of the people like Fitz who is, when a guy like Panarin's available, you take him, whatever, and you try and figure out the rest as you go? So I think I'm more like Fitz um, mm. for a guy like Panarin. That's, you know, um, a guy, you know, a guy like who uh, avoids hits pretty well. He probably has a little bit more longevity than maybe a guy like, who, you know, who scored a few more goals in like a grinding fashion. Um, the ability to break games like he does, I'm fine with paying for him and letting it all be sorted out. Truba, I was a little bit, you know, not on the same page. I like the player, uh, don't like the contract as much, but I like the player a lot. But I feel like you could consistently get more kinds of guys like Truba in free agency. I don't think that needed to be rushed. Hey, if they liked him, they liked him. Um, the thing is, I have no problem with them having that good mix of players. You know, we, we do see like a lot of other rebuilding teams that might be waiting out the clock, but you know, they're not really gaining anything from it. And I think that a lot of these, you know, a lot of these guys playing with a guy like Panarin or playing with a guy like Drew who've been in the NHL long enough and had, you know, variable amounts of success, you know, like it's probably a, it's probably something that really does benefit this team. And when I was, uh, I remember thinking about it when I was like younger, you know, like if you look at a lot of these teams that are building, you know, building cup teams, it takes, it takes time. And I, I feel like it almost takes like, I think on the average, like six or seven years to really get to a point, you know, these kids have, these kids, the 18 year old kids have to probably, you know, now that we know about aging curves, hit their peak, you know, war 
hit their peak everything. That takes five years, four or five years. So getting Panarin to maybe help accelerate the process or maybe even make it look like the kids are getting there sooner is a big help. So when those guys do get on the decline, I don't think Panarin's decline will be as bad. Trub is already overpaid in terms of production, but as long as he could keep eating minutes, I think you're still going to get pretty similar results. A lot of times when people have bad contracts, it ends up being uh, related to uh, production. Yeah. Less than, uh, less than anything else. So hopefully, you know, we're going to get to a point where even if these guys aren't ready, that they're not really like uh, strapping these young kids and we're, they're going to coincide at a good time. I have no problem with them targeting them early. I don't think that they would, they would have had as many opportunities to get a guy like Panarin anyway else. Like, you, you know, they're not trading a lot of these guys that, are rumored for Jack Eichel and you expect them to trade for somebody else, you know, Panarin at least came free. So I'm cool with it. So within that discussion is also just, it feels like for four years of no playoffs and consider, I don't really consider what happened in Toronto against Carolina making the playoffs. Cause you know, that was, kind of, that was the qualifying round, whatever, but mm-hmm. the, the feeling was, okay, we're going to suck it up for four years. We're going to suck. We're going to pick in the top five, top 10 of the lottery, and we're going to build something sustainable for the long term. We want to have six, seven, eight cracks at winning a cup before you have to worry about, you know, all the guys you drafted being too expensive to keep all of them. And there's kind of this, and pending doom amongst people like me who are a little bit frantic that well all of your old guys are already kind of at their peak and your young guys are probably two or three years away from your peak Mm -hmm. do you kind of do you understand why i kind of feel that they might be catching themselves in no man's land here where they probably make the playoffs but they're not going to get anywhere once they get there so you know, the weirdest thing for me is like, I, I, I do understand what you're saying. Like we're at, we're definitely at this weird point. Look, if, if Laugh and Kako came into the league, had the production that they did, or at least the on ice effects that, you know, you know, Kako had last year right away. I don't think we would be as, uh, as concerned, right? Cause okay. like, all right, if this is how they are at 18, right. You could probably do a good amount with it. And uh i don't i'm not as concerned about going nowhere just because there's so many teams that were really 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 good that ended up going nowhere anyway like i uh that year that i think the capitals won the cup right that winnipeg jets team was insane yeah. that winnipeg jets team definitely you know if if you had to probably choose a team that would have won the cup on paper or you know on data or even on the eye test that team was that team was sick they had a bunch of uh, they had a bunch of uh, scorers. They had a great defense group. They had you know good amount of centers. Like they just kept going, and they didn't get anywhere. So like I don't necessarily mind, just because I've almost like given up. You know like especially and, and I feel like a lot of it comes back to like Lundqvist's legacy, right? Like at some point you were like, yo, they didn't win with him, right? you know, they didn't win with him. Like, do you really expect anything else? And um, I feel like a lot of teams are in a similar position. You know, if Tampa didn't win two years ago, like I, like we got, you know, they're one of the few organizations that I'm surprised didn't blow it up after they got swept by Columbus. A lot of these other teams with a lot of, you know, talent would be quick to blow things up. I mean, or even, you know, even Pittsburgh, you know, after they're like yeah. early, early uh, you know, 
early dominance, like it, it really did take them like seven more years or, you know, six more years to even get back to being anything that's slightly dangerous before winning the cup. So I, 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 it's, it, uh, a lot of the anxiety has almost been like uh, exhumed from my body at this point, just because of how upset I was that they haven't won with Longfest. So I've given up. <laughs> I, 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 I've given up. I'm just pretty much like just trying to be like as happy as possible at this point. Um, so if, if, if they, uh, I think they'll be okay. Um, I think they're building a decent enough team, but uh, yeah, I, thanks to Lundquist, I'm, I've given up. <laughs> so you mentioned it in there about it does take a while. I mean, you got to think, you mentioned it. The Lightning drafted Stamkos and Hedman in 2008 and 2009. They didn't win a cup till 2020. The Capitals took Ovi in 05. They didn't win a cup till 2018. The Blues did, took Tarasenko in 2010. It takes a long time to get right. your marquee players to the peak of their production. So it might not be this group with these veterans. It might be eight years from now with Lafreniere, Kako, and maybe Nils and Fox with yeah. guys they bring in after the facts that come in later the the ryan mcdonough's on tampa the barkley goudreau's those kind of guys the secondary the guys you get later the points maybe they get someone down the road eventually i doubt the rangers ever draft a 510 center in the second round but yeah, you no. you know what i'm saying here there you you need as many opportunities as you can possibly get because you never know what year is going to be your year. Like you said about that Jets team, that Jets team was the best team in the league that year, but they got the shit beat out of them in that second round series against Nashville. And they just had nothing left by the conference final against Vegas. So you need as many opportunities as you can get. And I think that is part of how I'm rationalizing some of these short-term decisions of, well, if they're competitive now, that's good experience for them later on. And that'll help us out down the road. Yeah, I, you know, and I'm with you too, uh, with that, like even this whole, like the whole Tom Wilson thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't love say there, but I, you know, what he said about like, oh, these, you know, when he asked these kids, like, oh, have they ever been in like anything part of it? You know, if we're, if we're talking about it from like a Rangers lore perspective, right. Where we're like nutcases. Cause we are, you know, like, yeah, we're, we're obsessed with this team for God knows why. And we're looking for like any, you know, rational explanation. And I know for me, as soon as I heard that, like I, I ate it, you know, like I was like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You get these kids like as pissed off as possible for next time. So they know what it's like. I don't even know. These kids probably have to deal with something, you know, growing up playing hockey, you know, like they had some adversity in some way, but I, I ate it. it. You know, it's like full blown, like political, like propaganda, but I eat every single bit of it when I'm like talking about the Rangers. And um, I, I, I do think so, you know, like a lot of these teams, like they need some kind of push. And I, I'm, I've convinced myself that that was probably a good thing for the Rangers at this point, just because if it wasn't, I'll be even more upset. So, you know, if they want to get a couple of these veterans to help these kids feel a little bit more comfortable, I think that's fine. And, but I do agree with you. I don't really think that a lot of these guys that they bring in to try to win the cup now will probably be with the team later. At the end of the day, you know, you need Lafreniere to be your top guy. You need Adam Fox to continue being your top guy. That's the real core of the Rangers. Everybody else is here just for helping them be a little bit more comfortable on their way to prominence. You know, like, I'm probably not expecting a cup relatively soon, but I do hope that what we see in terms of development 
is significant. And then when these teams are playing, you know, a tough game that we're not out of it with the, with the first five minutes, like anytime we played like, you know, a, the Islanders when they were on their game or the Bruins when they were on their game, the problem wasn't the physicality necessarily, right? The problem was that the Rangers looked like they were an AHL team. <laughs> you, <laughs> they couldn't but, string together two passes in a row. Yeah, at, at least not going forward, right? You know, like, yeah. They could, you know, they do their, you know, side to side pass, do a drop pass and then get stopped on the blue line. You know, like it, it wasn't good hockey. It wasn't like when we were getting up there in like 2012 to 2014, where the team sort of started meshing together and just coming in waves. And, you know, I, I do hope that we get to that point. Maybe they did need like a couple of guys who are willing to grind it, grind it down, and, you know, just to like get some loose pucks for later on. Yeah, or at least make it look like they weren't getting like destroyed every time they played a team that was willing to do that. And, um, you know, I think that that'll be most beneficial for the kids, like giving them a little bit more opportunities to get something done. Um, at least I hope, you know, like <laughs> if, I mean, if, look, if the third line um, is eating a bunch of defensive zone starts, eating a bunch of like tough, tough, tough competition, and these kids go eat somewhere else, that's what you need. Then, then I'm good with it. Yeah. So you talked about it in there, but how well do you think we understand talent development so far? Because it really does seem, I'm not just talking about the Rangers. I'm talking about the NHL in general, because it really does seem like there are some organizations that have it locked in and they know exactly what they're doing. And then there's everybody else who's just kind of throwing shit at the wall to see what happens because the results we see from players drafted as high as first overall to the seventh round really seem to depend on where they're drafted. I mean, Anders Lee was a sixth round pick. Breeden Point was a second round pick. Now Yakupov was the first overall pick. It really does seem like where they land matters almost as much as their talent. So like a couple of things, um, you know, the cool thing about Anders Lee is I think the only reason Anders Lee went late was because they were like thinking about uh, he was wondering if he, they were, he was going to play like NCAA baseball or football. Yeah. I forgot which one, but the Braden point one is pretty interesting. So uh, I guess I could like share like a pretty cool story. So as I started doing like some, you know, prospect stuff, um, I started emailing a few agents trying to see if I could, they could use like my, you know, my visuals to try to, uh, you know, be able to help their guys maybe get drafted a little bit early or maybe go to teams and be like, okay, you might have my man listed in the fourth round. Right. But this guy's pretty damn good. So maybe if you're willing to trade up, take my guy, cause maybe you want your guy to be on a specific team. I ended up actually having a meeting with a agent about like a certain player. And one of the questions they asked was like, could you predict how much better a player will be uh, at skating with these charts? Like Braden Point, and I was like, are, are you like, are you insane? Like how, I, <laughs> no, like, you know, I, I'm not able to do that at all. So they're like, oh, so we don't want to deal with it. And I'm like, all right, but that's like, you know, like that's not really on me. The thing is your teams need to be able to develop all these other guys the other way. And I think in Braden Point's case, they had like Barb Underhill and uh, those other skating coaches, you know, like they were able to help this guy, this kid with his worst, his worst part of the game. Like the only reason Braden Point went late is because he was a shorter player who couldn't skate that fast. You watch Braden Point right now, you're not going to say that he doesn't skate fast. That dude cuts through every single team. A lot of it, I, I, I can only agree with you, is entirely that development. And, you know, from a Ranger standpoint, I don't know where the Rangers are on that spectrum. Yeah. 
It's you very know, hit or miss. Yeah, I, I would say the Oilers are definitely in like, you know, the case of Neil Yakov and really everybody else that's not McDavid, right? <laughs> is at the lower end of the spectrum. Like they haven't developed like a single like second round pick or a single third round pick. The Rangers have developed these guys, right? To become like decent enough NHLers, if not for us, then for other teams. But they don't seem to be able to get like this high type of talent, mm-hmm. this like upper echelon of the NHL. Of course, a lot of that ends up being like an early draft pick. But even with our early draft picks, we still haven't been able to see that kind of uh, level to it yet. So I don't know where the Rangers are on that spectrum. But yeah, I, I, I'm entirely with you. A lot of it comes down to development. And um, hopefully, you know, the Rangers are going to a good place with that because they've taken a lot of these character guys in like this draft and previous drafts. They seem to have a lot of potential bottom sixers that have their own significant flaws, either their skating or like the puck possession. And that you hope that, you know, the Rangers development team, whether it be in the minors or whether it be like, uh, what's it called? Like Tanner Glass flying to Slovakia to like help one of these kids out. You know, then that's, you know, then that's what it is. Like, I, I hope that that ends up working out for the, you know, bottom por- portion of the Rangers. But we do have to hope that we fix the skating issues for like Laugh and Kako to some degree just to see if we could get them to that level of the first, second overall pick that could really carry the Rangers going for further. So you mentioned it in there, and I keep using that as a transition. I got to stop repeating myself. But when we're talking about the development process and identifying what traits the players need to improve on, I feel like that if we can identify it, us just on TV, watching it on the couch, and for whatever reason, it's still not being addressed. I mean, we all, every single person with a basic understanding of shooting percentage knew Brett Howden was never going to score yeah. nine goals in two months again, ever, for the rest of his career. But the team believed that, and he got a two-and-a-half-year run out of nine goals in two months. And I just I wonder about that disconnect sometimes of – the front office and the, the or coaching staff seeing something happen, knowing it's not replicable, but still trying to make it happen again. Because I, I just feel like basic shooting percentages would tell you a lot of the things you think are happening aren't true and vice versa. That, okay, you know this guy's playing better, but the on-ice shooting percentage is three and a half. The offense is going to come. Why do you think there is that just inclination of, we'll figure it out, we'll ride it out? Uh... Is it stubbornness? Is it we know what we're doing? Is it just, you know, I'm trying to worry about day to day kind of thing where I understand that it's about today and then tomorrow once we get to tomorrow? So I think I think it comes down to uh, a few things, especially with like the younger players, right? Like first, uh, I'll go from like the higher end, right? Like um, for Laugh and Kako, they have not really had like a legitimate off season to work with like a significant yes. trainer for like a good time. For all we know that they, they do plan on helping them out in some way. Um, but they really didn't have like a really good schedule to do it. I think this year, if, I mean, we surprisingly, we haven't even heard anything about training. Like normally we hear like, Oh, these guys are with Ben Prentice by now or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we have some more there, but um for other guys, you know, like Howden or whatever, at the lower end where you're trying to figure out like, like, yo, this guy can't do this. Why are we still playing him? Uh, I think it really just come down to the organization's, uh, how the organization is looked upon by other players. You don't want to be 
how Vegas is sort of <laughs> starting to become this endless rotating door of players or prospects or anything. The Rangers at least look like they're a team that would be willing to try a player out until there's absolutely nothing left. And whether that means that they completely tank the player's trade value, you know, that looks like their thing. Like they like their guys, they're going to try their guys. And um, I think that's, I think that's what it is. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think it's them not knowing it because eventually they get rid of these players, you know, yeah. like, I'll, I'll give them that. Like they don't get get rid of them uh, immediately, but the players that we don't like or the players that seem to struggle aren't Rangers for long. It's just that they always play though. So yes. that, that's the weird thing. Like they, they are not willing to scratch them during the regular season, but as soon as the season is done, those guys are out of here. So I, I, I think a lot of it is the Rangers trying to not only maintain their own reputation as a team that like, you know, a lot of players would like to come to, but also maybe even like save the careers of these other guys. You know, I, I feel like if Howden wasn't playing that many games, I don't even, you know, I don't even know if Vegas would have necessarily targeted him and be willing yeah. to give him a chance. You know, Vegas is not really a dumb team either. Like they had a pretty decent group of guys that were able to target some pretty good underrated players. And then they targeted Howden, who is not very good. So I feel like a lot of it is just, you know, the team being willing to help a player out, which I'm cool with at this stage of the team. Yeah. And now that we're reaching this point where they just bought, you know, they just bought themselves a third pair defenseman for two and a half million, or they just got themselves a third liner for, you know, six years. You know, now is no longer the time for that. If you're making those kind of contracts, everything else on the team has to be taken care of. And that includes the development of these young players, as well as making sure that you're targeting the right bottom six pieces. So I, I think that's what it is. I think it's the Rangers just, you know, keeping up their reputation as a decent team that a lot of players want to go to. Okay, so it's worth mentioning here, you brought it up in the last part we were talking about in development and that the Rangers struggle to develop high-end talent and draft because they don't really draft high-end talent. And your opinion, prior to the, the sell-off in 2018 when they really started accumulating these high-end players, who do you think is the best player they drafted and put into the league? It's got to be JT Miller or Kreider, right? Those yeah. are like the right. those are the two only ones. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's it, it that that's the thing, right? It, it it just seems like they had nobody else. The fact that this team even became somewhat competitive, obviously, yeah. thanks to Lundqvist, right? Yeah. They didn't draft any other talent. You know, they they did not have like a Norris caliber defenseman, or as much of a Norris caliber defenseman as Adam Fox, you know, McDonough was sick, but they didn't have that kind of point production on the back end. They didn't have a guy of like even Panarin's caliber right now, or even Kako's defensive ability. Did the Rangers have like a guy who wasn't a, you know, if you really like decided to evaluate players this way, the 99th percentile in defensive on ice effects, you didn't, you know, like the fact that the Rangers even got to a point like that, where they were slightly competitive is shocking to me. So this year with all these kids that they've developed and that they've gotten, that's why I'm a little bit more optimistic. There is a lot more to potentially like, and especially in relation to the rest of the league. But yeah, uh, JT Miller, probably the best player the Rangers took, which is surprising because they, you know, they also traded him away. You know, it, it's really, really nothing there. I mean, obviously they were lacking first round picks, but I mean, there was nothing there. So, um, you know, hopefully 
hopefully we get to a really good point soon. I don't know. Um, amongst that conversation, the one last thing on prospects before we move it on and talk it, looking a little bit more towards the team itself in the future, what things do we know translate very well from developmental leagues or playing in men's leagues in Europe amongst guys that are, you know, going to get drafted or soon to be drafted that translate to the league where even if they do have the counting stat production, how are they pl- doing it or vice versa? If they don't have the counting stat production, what traits can we identify in these amateur guys that are still developing that we know translate pretty well? Honestly, though, um, I have no idea as like my own like type of practice guy. You know, like I don't have as much, uh, I guess, time in like scouting the players myself what I, but from what I, you know, from what I've seen and from a lot of these like independent scouts that I've spoken to, um, you know, they're pretty much saying like how the player is able to think, think the game through. If he's able to play up to a certain speed. And that's why I think the European leagues, especially drafting them is sick because you got some kids who are playing against 20 year olds one day and then they're playing against 30 year olds the next day. And if you see a kid is able to make that transition pretty well, change his game or keep that same game but change his speed to the different level i think that's pretty good if a player is able to adjust really well then i think he will probably have a better chance of success should they have all the other traits that might be able to work you know it's entirely possible that at some point your shooting skill is not good enough to do well at the nhl or the ahl level i mean look at you know uh, sammy uh blay right the yeah. dude was a decent enough producer in the minors and even now, like if you're looking at how his on-ice shot percentage is, he has a really, really good shot. He's just not being able to use it as much or be as successful with it at the NHL level. So, you know, I think that at least in some way, you have to have the ability to adjust to the game. So that's probably the best bet. Um, the other thing I would do is... Uh, you know, like the reason why I like to do like my own, like, you know, prospect counting stats is not necessarily just to look at the counting stats, but to see if a player sticks out. I really, really like to compare players to not necessarily their peers, just like the draft year, but specifically within their team, you know, for goalies, right. If a goalie has like a significantly higher safe percentage than his backup, then I'm a little bit okay with it. Like that Talon Boyko kid that the Rangers drafted, like, to, at, you know, at first glance, I was like, oh, man, you know, like another 6'8 goalie, you know, sick. You know, maybe this one will work. But he was significantly better than his backup. I'm willing to, I'm willing to accept that as a risk. Because there are other times that they drafted a guy that was just not as good. That they just took a guy just for to be a project and just didn't work. Or, you know, a guy like uh, Ryder, um, I'm sorry, Jaden Gruby or whatever. Yeah, yeah. How do you pronounce his last name, right? He only played five games this year, but... The year prior, he was one of the better forwards on Moose Jaw in his draft yeah. year minus one. Uh, he didn't even play that much. Uh, I, I think he only got like 11 minutes of, or so of ice time during that uh, on average during that year. So he did pretty well too. So at least in that regard, like did he deserve to probably be drafted 65th or could you probably have gotten like a different guy? Yeah, I think so. But if the Rangers, at least in my mindset, targeted this guy because – over the last few years, he was one of the better players on his team in multiple facets of the game, then okay, you know, like that that works for me. If that's the kind of strategy that you're going for, even if the guy's ceiling isn't too high, I'm cool with it. So, and I think that's sort of the kind of uh, process the Rangers are starting to do. Like, 
we see it with them not drafting a uh, center at uh, 16. Yeah. I think the Rangers looked at it and said, well, you know, Svechkov, as good as he is defensively, was probably more of like a third line guy, middle six player. Chaz Lucius, you know, the Rangers do seem to avoid uh, a couple of injury prone players. I think like his knee problem probably scared them. And then last year when they took Schneider instead of Maverick Borg, right? The Rangers probably saw it as, I see Schneider as like a third, you know, a number three D, right? And I think that might be more valuable than a guy who might be a two C, but will probably end up being a three C. And I think the Rangers then look at Othman and said, well, this is a guy who might be like a really good second line agitating winger. And I think we see that more valuable than maybe a third liner or a center who might not even be able to play well enough in the NHL because his knees busted. So I feel like a lot of it then becomes just that the Rangers have their ideal sets of, yo, I, you know, number one center, top priority, then number one D. If it's not that, then you go down the list. And if you feel that a player projects to a certain way, then you take that player over that uh, over the position of need. So I think that's what they've been doing too. Okay, so now that we're transitioning, looking a little bit more forward-leaning, I mean, one of the things I'm really worried about is just life after Lundqvist because we haven't had to be competitive the last two years, really. And right. Sturkin has been fine he's been he's had pretty decent numbers that run he had when he first came up was really impressive but you know that was only like 10 starts and then last year inconsistent at the start of the season pulled his groin he came back he was okay and then the team fell off a cliff and he had a harder time but i think we're kind of just penciling him in and assuming he's good to go as the number one for at least the next three seasons four seasons do you think there's any concern in just kind of penciling in a goalie who has less than 50 NHL starts? Uh, no, you know, like, okay. I, feel like I feel like the dude, you know, has been good enough in the KHL, good enough here. Goalies are weird enough as it is. Yeah. And anytime he does have like a bad set of games, it's not Lundqvist level where he bounces back right away because Lundqvist yeah. would follow up a bad game with like a 40 safe shutout. But he does have really good games to follow it up. I feel like for the most part, Shostakovich has been pretty, pretty consistent. And the other thing is, similar to Lundqvist, he does seem to deal with a lot more uh, difficult shots than his backups. Yes. So I think that if you once again look at it, and I think just you know Shostakovich uh, still you know was the better goalie on the Rangers. There was no you know there was yeah. not not a doubt about it. He, he did do pretty well. I think he actually did have like a 92% save percentage or like really, really close this year with more games. So I think he did fine, especially with the Rangers playing pretty much only playoff teams except the Devils and the Sabres, you know? Like he did pretty well. So I think it's fine to try it out, especially at 25 years old. If the Rangers say Shostakovich's our goalie for the next three or four years and then we'll rehash it at 29 years old, that's fine with me. I don't think he'll be as good for as long as Lundqvist because I don't think anybody was. But, you know, I, I think it's fine to do that. And, um, you know, he was better than his backups. He dealt with harder shots than his backups. I didn't really – I wasn't really nervous when the Rangers had a lead because of Shostakovich. I was nervous because of how they sat back on their lead. Like, he never really was the concern if it comes down to this year that Shostakovich becomes the concern, that also implies that the Rangers are a pretty good team in general because they're not sitting yes. back in the lead or he's giving up 
uh, shots that he shouldn't have. So, you know, if, if we're up to that point, then at least on the bright side, the Rangers are pretty good. So I, I'm fine with them trying. I'm fine with them sticking with them for a bit. In terms of aging curves, how different are goalies from the rest of skaters? Because you mentioned Lundqvist's yeah. a, a being basically immortal, a vampire, played high level into his mid-30s. We don't really understand it because goalies come over at such weird times because they don't get to the NHL until they're 24 years old. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can factor in Lundqvist in that calculation as well, right? When that yeah. dude's killing it in Sweden, you're telling, you're telling me he couldn't have come to the Rangers two or three years earlier, right? And probably have still carried the team to the playoffs. I, I think he could have, and I, I I would think the same thing with a lot of other goalies in the NHL too. I feel like, you know, sometimes they do take too long. But the other thing is that I think that we still haven't gotten around to like in terms of, I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of my ass here uh, with analytics, right? But I feel like especially with goalies, because the uh, the styles that they play are all different. Yes. Uh, their strengths and weaknesses are, I guess, more uh, scoutable than like, oh, you, you could easily say like, oh, a player doesn't skate well. And then you'd be like, well, what do you mean by that? You know, like, is he not fast? Is he not good on his like, edges? You know, like what what makes him a bad skater and could it be fixed with a goalie? You know, I think like Micah and hockey, Viz, like, if you look at a, some of his goalie visuals, like he will say like, OK, this player based the expected goals of like a thousand backhand shots and he keeps letting those in, right? He, mm -hmm. he ended up allowing like 1,200 or 1,050, or this is how the player deals with slap shots, right? So we already have that aspect of it. We could go a little bit further eventually once we have this data and be like, well, this goalie does not stop anything with a high glove. Look at the Islanders, man. How, long, how much did they target Tristan Jerry's high glove that entire series? Non-stop. And I think that becomes the really, really weird thing with goalies that you could scout their style. You could scout their weaknesses because you're actually looking at a puck going against the goalie as opposed to being like, well, this guy's skating against God knows who and doing God knows what. I think it's a little bit easier that way. So I think goalies and aging curves are absolutely wild, which is why, you know, like some goalies might succeed on other teams, you know, like Devin Dubnik, you know, yeah. was horrible. Then he was really, really good for like two or three years. And then he was horrible again. You know, that probably does not follow the aging curve because he was really, really good at 31 or 32. And then as opposed to like 26 or whatever he would be. So I don't know. That's why, you know, with goalies, uh, if you want to spend money on one goalie, that's fine. Um, especially if you're willing to take a risk. And then you just hope that your backup goalie could, you know, handle the rest. You know, that that's that's the only hope that you got. Um, so I think Shisjordan is a good bet for now. Hopefully they followed up um, with another good backup. You know, Georgiev was good on the penalty kill, I think, but uh, even strength, he didn't really inspire much hope. And I don't really want Keith Kincaid to play like 25 games next year. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers target a guy like Jonathan Bernier or like now that Braden Holtby's bought out, if, you know, if they want to, you know, get a guy on like a 1.5 mil deal just to play like 25, 30 games. And if they need him to play more, that at least they wouldn't be uh, upset about it. Like, this is, these are probably guys that could probably play those games. So one of the interesting things I've really come into reading, I've read a lot about more, seen a lot more work on, is stuff with aging curves. And one of the things that really was interesting to me was players usually hit their peak war, 25, 26, but they don't reach their peak counting stats until their late 20s. Yeah. 
Right. What do you think that discrepancy is? Because you would generally associate, you know, if a guy has 90 points, you would think his war would be higher. Right. So, I mean, it, it comes down to, I feel like if a lot of weird, weird things in the NHL. And it comes down to having so many skills at play at the same time. You know, it's not just shooting, passing, skating. There's a lot of, like, thinking going on, too. And then, obviously, like, the big one is ice time. Players mm-hmm. won't be able to do anything without ice time. Um, so I'll, I'm going to go on, like, a couple of tangents here. So I'm going I'm I'm to uh, keep it with the aging curves a little bit first. Um, I was really interested in aging curves, too, when the Rangers had Kevin Hayes. Okay. Uh, and not in necessarily the war perspective, but in face-offs. Because I loved Kevin Hayes. I thought he was a sick 2C. I, you know, I, I would still love him on the team right now. But the one thing that people constantly got on his back about were faceoffs. That this guy and the Rangers would not be able to be any kind of competitive team unless he started winning like 52%. Because in the beginning of, the, beginning of his career, he was around like 40, 45%. Yeah. So I got like a little bit interested in that. And I like ended up looking at all the centers in the NHL uh, and their face-off percentages over time. And while in like a war perspective, the peak starts going at 23, 24, face-offs, the player doesn't really get that good and above 51% or hits their peak until they're probably like 26, 27. So that's already further than like what would be war. Now, obviously, like the impact of face-offs and war is like probably. Like, even if you get, like, really, really excited about, like, oh, man, he won possession, you know, that'll contribute to something is negligible. But it got me thinking that, you know, there are some factors that might take, a t- might take some time for the player to develop. And, and from a face-off perspective, it could be the guy just needs to get stronger. It could be the guy just needs to know how to cheat. You know, like, a 22-year-old center won't be able to cheat as well as Claude Giroux in his eighth yeah. year. You know, uh, Kevin Hayes, as he's getting bulkier, would be able to push guys away better, win faceoffs in different ways. And I think a lot of it comes down, uh, a lot of that could be transferred to a lot of other skills too. Um, oh. What happened? Yandel signed with the Flyers. I know, I know. I just saw that too. I was, I was shocked. I was talking on her go play with AB again, considering that, like, oh. we said that, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I'm surprised he didn't go to Boston. I feel like they had a third LHB spot available. But yeah, you know, like, so now if you look at Kevin Hayes now, he's always hitting above 50% for the most part or damn close. So he's following that aging curve that I was able to see a couple of years ago. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to reiterate this for a guy like Philip Keedle, for example, who, yeah, you know, in terms of war, in terms of a lot of on ice effects, that dude looks like he is 2C ready. But yeah, the only thing that's stopping him is ice time because he doesn't apparently win enough faceoffs. But the reality is he's not going to get to that point for another three or four years. And if you really think about it, and if you really consider that faceoffs would be, you know, a part of success, uh, part of, for a successful center, which in turn would be part for a successful team, it goes back to that whole it takes seven or eight years for a competitive team to get there because there are small little uh, nuances of the of a hockey game that will take time. That takes time for a player to either develop or to just learn themselves. Um, and until it really gets there, I don't, I don't really think we, you know, we will see a successful team. And we, you know, we see it with Tampa. There were some aspects of their game that 
you know, at least in retrospect, right? Or you know, looking at it like with hindsight, weren't there until miraculously like three or four years ago, whatever it might be, might take time that those little nuances of the game do take time for every individual player. Um, so we have that. The other thing, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, I'm trying to remember what got me on both of these tangents. We were talking about aging curves. All oh, right, the ice time, right? Yeah. So, you know, the that Tampa Bay team before they got swept by Columbus, I think was the only team that had like nearly 300 goals in 20 years. Yeah. Right? And if, you know, the way I see it is if that team was the only team that scored 300 goals, the Rangers aren't scoring 300 goals next year, no matter how offensively charged they are. You're not better than the Kucherov Stamkos point at like that level. But if that's the case, let's say we could probably predict the Rangers to score like 280, 285, which might, which would still be top 10, maybe even top five in the league, right? If a hundred of those points are involved with Artemi Panarin, whoever his center is, and then whoever his winger is, and then probably close to another 80 something points would be involved with Zibanejad should he not have another COVID lung season, right? I think like, you know, there are concerns about Zibanejad, but he still probably will produce around a point per game. If we're, you know, give or take, you're leaving only a hundred more goals to be spread out through your defense, through your bottom six, right? The kids, you know, Kako, Lafreniere, Kratzoff would not be able to get that necessary amount of offense without the ice time because they wouldn't be playing with a guy like Panarin because they wouldn't be playing with a guy like Zibanejad or um, Philip Kittle, like I was just mentioning, wouldn't be able to get as much points to be this ice time. And as much as I hate the Buchnevich trade, uh, and I mostly hate it um, because they didn't get enough in return as opposed to getting rid of the guy, right? You need Kako and Lafreniere to play. Like, uh, if, if they're not being successful with Panarin or Zibanejad or whoever they play with, then we have to take a look, right? Like, is this the right thing that's going to go down? You know, like, there's been guys who are productive and these kids should be productive. So they need the ice time. Um, and I think that comes down to, like, the counting stats too. If these kids are being constantly pigeonholed into like a three C spot, barely playing power time, power play, they're not going to get the counting stats. So I think that what, uh, in my opinion, what happens is as the players aging curve is showing like, you know, their wars hitting their peak, their on ice product looks significantly better. Right. And as the guys who are ahead of them are being, uh, forced out due to salary cap concerns or anything else, or maybe just failure on uh, failure later on, because, now their peak is going down, right? They're off, you know, they're on the other side of the mountain at this point. You force these kids as they just hit their peak or are about to like get off their peak into a higher role where they're still productive enough. They still do enough on the ice. And now they're just benefiting from getting four more minutes of extra ice time or two more minutes of power play. And that's what I think it is. I, th- I, I feel like if uh, a lot of teams, right, like let's say Seattle, right, builds their entire team through the draft and at 22, at uh, a bunch of their kids at 22, like Veneers, whoever else they draft, right, gets these first line ice time, I think we'll end up seeing their team being more similar to a team like Pittsburgh or Chicago, where those kids were just given 20 minutes a night to play, as opposed to the Rangers, or giving the team these kids 12 minutes, letting them almost like ferment, like how Detroit would have, uh, you know, developed guys in the AHL, the Rangers are developing kids on the third line. Hopefully it works out. Like we have no idea. I, I feel like a lot of, I don't, I don't feel like there's been a lot of teams that have been 
putting young kids in the same position the Rangers have over the last two years. For all we know, they're going to come in this year and just absolutely kill it because they were just, they got used to the NHL with no responsibility. And now they're getting all of it. And they're like, all right, you know, we're ready to take it. We're about to hit our, we're about to start going up that, you know, that path on their aging curve that'll almost start seeming like a rocket ship, you know, like mm-hmm. that, that curve goes, shoots right up at that like 23, 22 years old. So we might be seeing something really, really good coming in now. Uh, so that's what makes aging curves really, really interesting to me, that they're so dependent on ice time. Yeah, I really spent a lot of time trying to understand them because I wanted to understand Truba and Zabinijad specifically. Zabinijad, because his isolated impacts, offense versus defense, they completely flipped because they were pretty close to even when he first got here to New York. And now it's pretty much all offense and no defense in terms of his underlying impacts. So that's part of why I'm a little bit concerned about giving a 29-year-old who doesn't play defense a long-term contract, which seems to be what the plan is based on how they're treating salary right now. So if you wanted to assuage my concerns about Zabinijad being all offense at 29, what would you tell me? Um, I'm, I have to pretty much agree with you. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's weird because um, there's a couple of things. First, I'm not really sure how well we isolate players yet. Okay. Because of the data that's really available. You know, the public data, yeah. Right. You know, like, I think, like, you know, a lot of these guys, especially like Evolving Wild, who, you know, sick website, they do really, really sick work, are, you know, an absolute fantastic thing for the hockey community. But I'm sure if they had more and more data available, they could create even something significantly better. You know, like, there are a lot of guys that I think you look at, you know, you know, you're looking down at like cap friendly, the free agent list, and, you know, then you, you find some names that you like and you go on whatever website that you like to use to look at this player and be like, would I like the Rangers or team X to sign this guy? And if you might see like, yo, this guy looks pretty, pretty good. You know, like his, he's in like the 80th percentile and all of these certain things. Let's go for him. But then he doesn't end up working out. And I feel like we have a decent amount of like random isolated players that at some point you're looking at their profile and saying like, okay, this is a guy that should project to be pretty decent. But then he switches teams and he's not, he doesn't look like that anymore. I remember like when the, when the hat, when Vegas traded for Pacioretty. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, like they knew Suzuki was probably pretty good and they were laughing at Vegas for trading Tatar in the deal because they just traded a first round pick for him. But teams were pretty hot. People were pretty hyped. They were like, all right, Pacioretty with Vegas probably is going to work out. His next season was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. In every aspect, the counting stats and the non-counting stats. And then he was put on the trade uh, trade market and everybody was saying like, nobody should trade for Pacioretty because he was this bad. But then he was really, really good this year. So there's like some difficulty, I think, in projections for certain okay. kinds of players, maybe. Maybe some players are more difficult to project. Maybe there's other things going on. Or if like Jonas Donskoy, who gets yeah. Who was an absolute like analytics darling in uh, San Jose? I think when he, uh, you know, when he signed with uh, Colorado, people were like, "Oh, sick!" You know, like this is a perfect guy for them. He was a great player in San Jose. This uh, this Colorado team is going to be an even better team, right? And now they're getting this guy on their third line or whatever. He's going to be awesome for them. You know, you know, like he was 
pretty much dog shit for the last two years in Colorado. There was no projections. Like his uh, his isolates uh, completely flipped too. So I think there are some players that we have a lot of difficulty projecting how they'll do on a future team. And for Zibanejad, his last two years, you know, he hasn't really been that great in terms of his isolated five on five. Yeah. But man knows how points are there. Man knows how to shoot. You know, it might be, it's weird to say because like at the same time, while I'm optimistic about the Rangers a lot, I also like love to neg them. (laughs) And, um, you know, like he is one of the better snipers in the league because he consistently, you know, like, I mean, you don't want, you don't expect a player to shoot 15% all the time, but there are sometimes players who are able to do it. And that's just because they pick their spots in certain ways and they have, you know, they do have a naturally good shot. And Zibanejad always had a really, really good shot. So would I go long-term with him? Absolutely not. I feel like eventually, you know, his ability to maybe shoot would go down a little bit and his ability to find open space would go down a bit. Like he has that really, really powerful stride that sometimes he's able to just push through teams and make the most out of the breakaway. I don't know how long he'd have that ability to do that. You know, I, I don't know if I would go longer than three or four years if they sign him. I'm cool with giving him mad money for those three, four years, see if he could get a long-term deal somewhere else at the end of his career, like, you know, retire in Florida. That's what I would do. Um, but yeah, I, I, I probably wouldn't sign him long-term. I, I think that's pretty reasonable for you. Uh, to be concerned about that. All right. As we wrap up here, get to the last couple of questions I wanted to ask Josh. The first one, all right, so I'm giving you a magic wand. You can make any of the young guys on the Rangers reach their maximum potential. It's got to be Lafreniere, right? Yeah, yeah. It's got to be Laf. I love, I mean, you know, I love Kako, but the potential for Lafreniere is sick. And, you know, hopefully Kako could also just continuously keep up his defensive play, you know, uh, it's weird to think about, but the Rangers, you know, they have a Norris caliber player because he won one. Shistoto's numbers are pretty damn good. He might be able to be a top goaltender in the league. There are times during the year that he was, you know, a top three or top four guy. Um, you know, they have Panarin, who's always seems to be like a hard caliber player. Um, and they have some pretty good depth. And that's not even factoring in Lafreniere or Kako's defensive abilities or anybody else that they really have. The fact that Truba could eat 20 more minutes after Adam Fox, like I was mentioning earlier in the pod, is pretty good. The fact that you probably still have other producing players coming in is still really, really good. Uh, so if you get another game-breaker type, which Lafinette could be, then, you know, if you go for it, it's hard to not be excited about the Rangers, even if you still definitely see the doom coming in some way, like, you know, a guy just falling apart or, like, cap troubles. The core of the Rangers, if you really consider it as Laugh, Fox, Shesterkin, and then whoever else in that group is still pretty damn sick. So, you know, if Laugh ends up working out, then I think the Rangers will be successful for a while, no matter how many um, parts change over the next 10 years. Do you think him being a wing does diminish a little bit of his value because of the emphasis placed on the center position? Or do you think that, you know, if you just have a Miko Rantanen on your first line, you don't need the McKinnon to go with him? Um, I think now it's a little bit different, right? I think in the past it was, uh, I think in the past it was probably pretty significant. But I think now, uh, you know, Laugh also like plays a bit like a center too. Like he's yeah. more comfortable behind the net either way. Um, so I think it's fine. 
it it's annoying, right? Because if you're in yeah. like if you're in like that, you know, stereotypical mindset of what you need to build a team, you would love a one C. And if you just imagine Lafreniere as your one C, the team looks futurized significantly better. Yes. Um, so that's that's the most annoying issue about it. But you know, I I think his impacts would still be pretty cool. Um, and like you said, you know, if you got a Rantanen on one line, Panarin on the other line, and you just that's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's going to be hard for a team to stop you, especially when those guys are playing two thirds of the game. You know, if, if two thirds of the game, uh, the other team is facing all stars, and then the other third of the game they're playing pretty decent other players, it's hard not to imagine the Rangers winning most of the games that they play. So. I'm a little bit, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. Okay, so now, this one is a little bit more to your data side of you. If you could get the answer to any hockey question you have, what would said question be? What is something you haven't been able to figure out that you would like to know the answer to? If you could get the unquestioned truth to any hockey question you have. What the fuck is defense worth, man? (laughs) No, like, it, it comes down to, like, Barkley Goudreau, too, right? If, if you were to flip his, um, his isolates a bit, right? Because defense doesn't get paid as much as offense. If defense got paid as much as offense, Pavel Buchnevich would probably be getting way more money and a lot of mm-hmm. teams would have signed him. Because he's more than just this like 60-point player, right? He's a guy who could also significantly help on your PK and has really, really good 5v5 defensive numbers now, especially the last few years. But defense does not get that much money at least by itself, right? A really, really gritty guy who might be good at defense will get a lot of money for being really, really gritty. And the defense is just a plus. But if defense is worth a lot, right? If Kako, for example, is in his 99th percentile in defense, how much is that worth, right? Is it worth the same as a guy who's in the 99th percentile as offense and everything is just flipped? How much different of a difference of salary would these players get? So, you know, I feel like there, you know, we should be getting to a point soon that we could evaluate defense a little bit better and hopefully also, you know, ascribe value to it pretty, you know, pretty well too. So I would love to know what defense is worth and how much players could like reasonably get paid for it. And if they should be getting paid as much as a player who might be producing a lot or might have the same offensive isolates as a defensive, a really good defensive guy. And we might see that with, uh, you know, Deneau this year. He doesn't yeah. produce. He's got sick defensive uh, stats. How much money is he going to get? Is he going to get as much as some other center who is not as good as Deneau? You know, we'll take a look. Of all of the castoffs who the Rangers have sent away over the recent years, and we can include Buchnevich in this now too, unfortunately. So Buchnevich, Brady Shea, Kevin Hayes, JT Miller, McDonough. If you could plop any of those guys onto this team right now, who do you think would help the team the most? Uh, to not to not say Pavel Buchnevich, uh, JT Miller and his like development of the game, right? Like he became like a way better two way grinding type player. Uh, you know, he seems to be like the kind of guy that the Rangers keep saying that they really, really want and are missing from the lineup. I think that if you have him in your uh, you know, middle six somewhere, right? Even if, you know, it's a little bit overpaid, but like if he's on your third line or if he's on your second line or in front of the net on the power play, I think he would be a pretty, pretty awesome help for the Rangers. 
Who's someone around the league's game you just love watching them play hockey? Without There's saying. a million answers to this. There's yeah. no wrong answer. Who's your pet project? Who do you like gassing up? Gassing up Connor Garland. I okay. I was a big Garland guy when he was getting drafted. I think like that dude at like 5'8 is just like super reckless. And like he's willing to like get absolutely destroyed against the boards <laughs> just so he could get back in front of like of the slot and snipe it through. So I like Garland a lot. Um, I, I, I like, I, I like, uh, I don't like the superstars as much. I really like getting, uh, this one or two guys that I'm just like absolutely obsessed with. Um, let me think who else, I, I guess on defense, I really, really liked, uh, Clef bomb before he got hurt. Yeah. Really liked Clef bomb before he got hurt. I think he was like a really cool, like defensive guy. Like not like to like uh, Jean Merson, who was just stout, but, yeah. uh, I, lo- I really like Clefon. Of all of the Rangers' feeble-minded, short-sighted roster transactions to try and win a cup during the Lundqvist era, which one frustrates you the most? <sighs> to me, it's Dan Boyle, because they ended up trading for Keith Yandel anyway to do the same exact thing. But there are plenty of answers to this question. That's probably a good one. Um, I don't know. I feel like that 2012 team they weren't great right but i was like so hyped about it i was also like 14 or 15 years old so i had like a lot of like the emotion investment in there because it was the only thing i cared about um but only getting like john scott at the deadline (laughs) to try to compete and then like just getting like shut out consistently and not being able to score by the uh against the devils that that was probably a pretty good one like it i i didn't care like they could have gotten some like random guy like who was probably a good like horrible one-dimensional scorer back then like Marek Svatos or something yeah like, like right before he went to free agency or something like 2012 Mike Hoffman like, yeah you know, like get some or like Camilleri or you know yeah. like, that kind of guy you know like why why did you trade for John Scott when when you really probably needed something else I remember um I think I think there was some podcast, I forgot if it was like Friedman's or one of the hockey guys, they had like John Scott on there and they were asking him like about his trade to the Rangers. And like the only thing that he was told by Glenn Sather is just that Glenn Sather wants the toughest team on the ice every night. And Tortorella had no idea that John Scott uh, was traded to the Rangers. So like this was, it was literally just Glenn Sather being like, well, I'm not leaving this deadline without like getting another enforcer in some way. Okay. I remember I was like home that day. I was like watching NHL Network. I'm like, yo, the Rangers better be getting like somebody. And they got John Scott. So that was, that was pretty frustrating, I think. Of all the sliding door moments, which one is the worst? Zuccarello's injury, McDonough's injury, of any of them. It could be anything really of the Lundquist era. What sliding door moment messes you up the most? I'm going with Zuccarello, man. Like I was, I, I, I've entirely convinced myself that they would have won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, like make uh, on ice goaltender interference review happen. Uh, one yeah. Year you know, that would be, uh, that would be pretty horrible. Or if, you know, uh, Chris Kreider wasn't addicted to hitting posts, that would have helped. <laughs> what Ranger got the worst rap? during the Lundquist era, because I was talking about this with Sean Hartnett a couple weeks ago, and he still thinks it's Nash. And I, I think Nash, too, but I, I stand for Gabrick. I think Gabrick gets a bad rap for his I time in New York. Yeah. You know what? 
I was a pretty big Nash defender. Yeah. Looking back at it, I could see why people were upset. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there was definitely, I mean, they didn't really trade that much for him. And they got Buchnev yeah. in the deal too. So that was cool. Um, the Rangers literally got the two best players in the deal, which is yeah. the funniest thing. But um, yeah, I, I was a huge Gabber guy. Huge yeah. Gabber guy. Um, another guy that I think I really, really liked uh, was uh, Zherdev. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Jared a lot. Uh, Pruka was pretty cool too. Oh yeah. You know, love my one dimensional. Uh, yeah. Love, love my one dimensional. Because you were a kid then too. Yeah. Like, so I was just like, Peter Pruka is the best hockey player alive. I love yeah. this guy. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, you just get your like favorite guys and just stick with them no matter what. It's, it's a lot of fun that, you know, that's, that's what really made it fun to watch the games too, you know? Yeah. And I think we're getting to that point soon and you know we, we started to feel it with Buchnevich leaving like I don't remember the Rangers really losing a guy that I got really really upset about uh in free agency you know yeah. I, I you know when Devils lost Parise other teams lost these guys you know the Rangers biggest like UFA loss was like Nick Antropov who they got at the deadline you know so losing Buchnevich sort of forced themselves to lose like a homegrown talent that was pretty good so i think we're getting to a point where now you know these kids the kids teams now we're probably gonna get some random favorites and i do hope that i'm gonna obsess over like some random fourth liner like i i do hope that like groovy or like whoever else they draft in like the sixth round is going to be like the most he could suck too i don't care but like some dude that i just absolutely love for no reason at all like I, I'm definitely down to carry water for a random fourth liner. You heard it here first. Josh is going to be the number one Morgan Barron stand on opening night. Oh, you fucking know it, man. You uh, know. It. There's something innate about our Ranger fans' ability to meme anything to death. We literally memed Filipino into being good yeah. into existence. Like everybody was like, they drafted who? 21st overall, and he's got really good isolated impacts for 12 minutes a night at five on five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying, right? We got to we got to take it all the way through. It's yeah. now time for him to uh, become the guy that I, you know, that we were always promised uh, to each other. Like yeah. nobody else. Like I, I, I don't think a single like online scout was like, oh yeah, this is a really great pick at 21. He was 17 <laughs> and 165 pounds. Yeah, it was literally just Rangers fans being like, you know what? Nah, he's gonna be gonna good. He's gonna be good. It's fine. Uh, and that's the problem. Like, we are, we automatically convinced ourselves that Lias Anderson was fine. Yes. And that's that was the biggest thing. We didn't meme it into existence. So I think Philip Peter was going to be fine. Thank you so much for doing this, Josh. This was oh, a man. lot of fun. No, man. Thank you. Yeah, like, I uh, haven't had a chance to talk about hockey in a while, so this was a uh, this was a lot of fun. We will have you catch up before the season and when the Rangers are icing a fourth line with Ryan Reeves and Sammy Blaze and Barkley Goudreau and we don't have Ryan Strom anymore and we're going to have a fun time. Dude, you're joking about it, but like, I would not be surprised if that's the case. You're forgetting George, uh, Martinuk too. Like, I, I, could easily, Mar- I, I could easily see a fourth line of like Martinuk, uh, Blaze, and Reeves <laughs> set up um we're probably just waiting for it until tomorrow vegas is doing something vegas cleared that space for something i don't know what but vegas is making another move i mean if they're willing to right like if if they're willing to just trade every prospect that's left for eichel yeah i mean why not right you know uh 
they could easily move like the next three firsts and Krabs, uh, and if they still have right. Cody Glass, uh, yeah, like they'll figure it out, you know, like, yeah, he's uh, they got guts on that team, so yeah, be pretty cool. I want to thank Josh for stopping by. I will see you guys tomorrow. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode.